0: Welcome to the latest episode of Schnepp's Connects. Today, we're going to be talking about New York's wind power future. South Fork Wind is expected to be the first offshore site to supply electricity to New York. New York State's Climate Act mandate is to secure 70% of the state's electricity from renewable energy by 2030, and at least 9,000 megawatts of offshore wind by 2035. And companies like Orsted are gearing up to support this effort. Orsted, a Danish energy company, is developing the South Fork Wind Project and the Sunrise Wind Project with Utility Eversource off the coasts of New York and Rhode Island. Today we're here to talk about the renewable energy plan with Eric Anticall, Director of Workforce Development for Orsted. He's a workforce development leader specializing in union careers like construction, energy, plant operations, and transportation. Orsted develops, constructs, and operates offshore and onshore wind farms, solar farms, energy storage facilities, renewable hydrogen and green fuels facilities, and bioenergy plants. They are a global leader on climate action and the first energy company in the world to have its science-based net-zero emissions target. They are headquartered in Denmark and employ approximately 7,700 people. So, Eric, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So talk a little bit about what Orsted's role is in the wind power for New York and what are the benefits really to the state?
1: Yeah, I'm very proud to say as a, as a New Yorker myself that uh, we're the uh, New York leader in offshore wind in addition to being the US leader in offshore wind. As you mentioned, we're building South Fork Wind Farm, which will be uh, the first offshore wind farm of commercial scale in the United States and later Sunrise Wind, which will be uh, delivering clean energy to New York in late 2025. And it's more than uh, just bringing clean energy to New York, it's also about uh, bringing real environmental and economic benefits. So just for example, there was a a really excellent story in the Wall Street Journal uh, the other day about our work with Lundstrom um, in Western New York, Wellsville. There's a factory there that uh, used to manufacture components for oil and gas rigs. And now those 100 jobs in Wellsville, uh, high quality jobs, have transitioned to building steel components for our wind farms. So what that means is really a just transition for New York. And there's a number of other ways that, that we're doing that, but that's the current events version of it.
0: Well, listen, I could imagine it really takes a lot because when you look at these wind farms, I mean, it's really impressive in terms of their size and scale. And you know, with the recent pledges of New York to build 9,000 megawatts of offshore wind, really within... What about 12 years, including that, is really a commitment to hire local workers and, and buying those parts, like you were saying, that are built here in New York. So I, I'd love to hear what kind of jobs can New York State expect from Orsted and from this industry.
1: It's a great question. It's one I get all the time, and it's uh, one of the parts of my job that I love the most is, is helping people understand and demystify what the career paths look like. So put it in, in context. So developing uh, an offshore wind project takes all sorts of folks. There are many jobs that are very specific to offshore wind, but there are many, many more that are not necessarily directly specialized for offshore wind. So we need graphic designers, we need accountants, we need project managers. uh, We need people who are not afraid to go on New York podcasts. We need people who are able to understand engineering. Uh, But in terms of of the mode of the data set, in terms of uh, of the jobs that New York can expect. So one of the things that really excited me about joining an offshore wind company is the opportunity for folks who don't have more than a high school education. So the majority of the jobs are coming in the form of construction jobs, manufacturing jobs, maritime crew, and operations jobs. And those are very high quality jobs, uh, particularly in New York, where there's more union density and more labor protections than, than in other places. And so those offer really excellent career opportunities for folks to, uh, to provide for their families um, in a meaningful way, while not having to go to college and incur uh, quite a lot of debt. And part of our strategy is to, is to support organizations that are able to train and, and support and provide services to folks who are seeking those careers. And then at the same time, use our leverage in the industry to encourage. our contractors and suppliers uh, to hire folks from those same communities. So a perfect example here is our support of the MAP program. That's the Multi-Craft Apprenticeship Preparation Program in the Capital Region. They're a pre-apprenticeship program that trains uh, mainly black residents of South Albany to enter careers in uh, construction through union apprenticeship programs. So we've, we've supported them. That was a $300,000 grant uh, last year. And then at the same time, we're also working with Briggs Bissler, one of the best contractors in, in the U.S. To, to build advanced foundation components which are large pieces of the turbine that are being constructed in the port of Queemans, which is just south of Albany, that will then sit on our wind farm sites um, and be shipped out from there. So uh, creating the job opportunities is just one piece of it. An equity approach really requires us to support training programs that can really reach into communities and, and pull
0: people in. I mean, it's gotta be skilled workers, man. I look at these you know, wind farms and I mean, they are enormous. Plus, I mean, the way that they must uh, have to anchor them you know probably takes a lot of people
1: <laughs> well yeah it's that's, that's absolutely true and it's very skilled work the beauty of the construction industry and manufacturing maritime any industry where there's a robust apprenticeship system is that you are going to get those skills to do those very intense scopes of work you know, these are some of the heaviest man-made objects on earth and we're installing hundreds of them off the coast but you don't have to come in knowing how to do that apprenticeship is going to teach you from day one how to get uh, up to that level of skill over a number of years so that you can be safe and productive alongside your fellow workers and not put anybody at risk and keep the project on track. So we always say, you know, all you need is attitude and aptitude. And so if someone is interested in a skilled trades career, now's the time to get in and to start learning some of those skills uh, that are foundational to that craft. So, for example, becoming an electrician apprentice. You don't have to come in uh, knowing anything more than a few basics about math and reading. And over a five or five and a half year apprenticeship program, that union is going to take you up to a level where you're, you're really an expert in your craft and then able to do some of this more, quote unquote, glamorous work of helping to install a wind turbine. So that's one of the, the points that I try to drive home most is that people are talking about offshore winds as something that's, that's quite far away. And some of the projects are. As we mentioned, South Fork is, is coming up this year. So some of them are, are very, very close, but there's a discussion about the jobs being, you know, five, 10 years away. But really the, the jobs are here now. The apprenticeship programs are accessible now through pre-apprenticeship and other, and other mechanisms. And now is the time to, to get those skills so that when the big call comes to put in those, those extremely heavy and, and complex foundations and, and towers and blades that you're not at score one, that you've already had some experience um, and had a long career that's provided for your family at the same time.
0: That's fantastic. You know, I'm a Long Islander. I was uh, raised on Long Island. I know that you guys are building a base uh, in Port Jefferson, which is Long Island's North Shore, which will be, I guess, your base to maintain and operate the South Fork Farm once it's in service. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that and what type of you know, training is going to be offered to New York and specifically on Long Island for staff there.
1: Yeah. So one of the most exciting um, investments that we're making in Long Island is a $10 million investment in the National Offshore Wind Training Center. That's part of our philosophy that Orsted should not be a sort of dictator, as it were, uh, in terms of uh, determining how our grant funds are used. Those funds have actually been provided to a group of respected community organizations, including the Long Island Federation of Labor, Nassau Suffolk Building Trades Council, uh, Suffolk Community College, and Minority Millennials to build out and provide uh, a center and provide training that's necessary for workers to engage with offshore wind careers. That's in Brentwood, which uh, in environmental justice language is a quote-unquote disadvantaged community. So we're really excited to invest in those resources in a community that has felt some disinvestment in recent years. So that training center is going to provide global wind organization basic safety training, which is a key pre-requirement for workers that are going to interact with an offshore structure. So construction workers, operations workers, maritime crew, and a number of other different job classifications Um, are going to need this approximately one week training where folks learn how to be safe and to support each other in potential emergency situations offshore. So that I think is the most robust training center commitment that I'm aware of in New York or, or potentially in the U.S. to provide offshore training in Long Island.
0: So how would people go about, you know, taking advantage of those opportunities?
1: The first thing is for it to be completed, and uh, we expect that that'll be completed in the, in the next year or so to be able to then provide that training. After that, it's really a question of, of signing up, and our guess is that it's going to be in quite high demand. In the meantime, there, as I mentioned, there are also excellent training opportunities in industries that are sort of feeding into offshore wind, uh, but not necessarily coming with the offshore wind label. right? So there's uh, about 15 or so construction apprenticeship programs in the building trades on Long Island, same in, in New York City. Um, so those, those apprenticeship programs, uh, you know, obviously happy to talk about the specifics there, but you know, probably more detailed conversation around construction apprenticeship. And then there's, there's, of course, Maritime Crew apprenticeships that are available now. We're a big fan of the Seafarers International Union Maritime Crew Worker Organization that has a, a really robust apprenticeship training center in Maryland. And they are, at the same time, uh, recruiting folks from, from all over to come down, stay on their campus train and get their first work assignment um, and get out to a long and, and strong maritime career. So those are the kind of key you know, career opportunities that are available now to New Yorkers that I would flag.
0: That's terrific. You know, you talked about being aware of disadvantaged communities. What type of environmental justice will that be involved in?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's something that we're, that we're trying to be extremely intentional about. In developing any kind of community-facing initiative, we want to involve environmental justice principles in that. So self-determination being kind of the, the key one uh, for us where, to get, like I said, it's not about us saying, hey, this is the initiative that we're going to paternalistically give you. And have fun with it. You know, it's it's more about bringing folks in, understanding what their priorities are, what the problems and challenges they faced in the past are, and then you know, of course, taking a kind of partnership-based approach, kind of matching our priorities with with their priorities, and supporting a mutually beneficial program and goal. So in terms of specific initiatives, there's there's more to come on that in the next few weeks. We're really kind of at, at the stage where we're in you know, very open dialogues and, and having some, some very robust conversations, uh, particularly with folks in New York about how to advance environmental justice.
0: You guys just submitted a proposal for the third offshore wind solicitation in the state, and the project you're proposing is called Sunrise Wind 2. So I'd love you to tell us a little bit about Sunrise Wind 2 and what the benefits to the state would be.
1: I'm really excited about this one. Uh, So, as you said, we've just submitted a a proposal for Sunrise Wind 2, which is a a real evolution of our Sunrise Wind 1 project. So if we're selected uh, by NYSERDA, we'll deliver renewable energy for uh, the equivalent of 1 million homes in New York State by 2031. Along with that, again, not just about clean energy, it's also about jobs. So uh, thousands of jobs will be supported by this project, uh, along with billions of dollars in investment just in New York State, which is a huge range of different jobs. So as I mentioned, manufacturing jobs in western New York, it's construction and manufacturing jobs in the capital region, construction, operations, and maritime jobs in New York City and Long Island, other parts of downstate. And at the same time, I'm going to selfishly say this because I help work on it, is there's a system, an ecosystem of workforce development and support systems in place uh, with the grant to, to help Drive equity throughout these jobs that are being generated, so that we're really bringing in communities that have been left behind um, and disinvested from in past kind of you know, large-scale infrastructure projects and other um, economic initiatives. So it's a robust project that has more than seventy letters of support from community organizations and elected officials. We're just looking forward to uh, what of thinks of it, and uh, and we're uh, we're hoping for the best.
0: When do you expect to hear back on that?
1: It's unclear. I think, you know, we we want to make sure that the the state has much time as as it needs to to review and make the right decision for New Yorkers. But we're thinking that it's sometime this year, but we're very patient um, about this.
0: That's terrific. And just talking a little bit more about, you know, economic and social justice, specifically to local disadvantaged communities, what are you guys thinking about offering in, in that?
1: It's part of what drew me to Orsted, that that this is not just corporate social responsibility. Orsted treats these initiatives as a core part of the business case for these projects. So because of that, there's heavy investment in supporting disadvantaged communities and coming into our workforce. So be specific here. So there's a $12 million grant fund, again, with real community say-so about how those funds are spent. $12 million for New York City and Long Island workforce development, $3.5 million uh, for workforce development in the capital region, same approach where we have real community say so over how those funds are spent. And then an additional $2 million in supporting capital projects that are benefiting disadvantaged communities, and in some cases even owned by disadvantaged communities that that are working to put in their own projects so that they can not only get the clean energy benefits and the health benefits associated with that project, but also to reap the economic benefits for themselves. And that's a core part of kind of a priority that that we've heard time and again from local stakeholders. This is something that's been done to them. And this is not something that they've been able to um, to secure ownership of. So we really want to support those efforts. We're also focused on MWBE uh, utilization. So so we're aiming to use 30% of the contract funds for minority and women-owned businesses and, and 6% for service-disabled veteran-operated businesses, owned businesses, I should say. Based on the models that we're, we're running for the project, it looks we might spend as much as 50% of the project expenditures in disadvantaged communities, which, again, you know, this is about, you know, not just clean energy, but, but bringing equity and justice to communities in New York that have been left behind.
0: That's terrific. Yeah, listen, I'm sure, you know, New York is one of the most diverse places in the world. So to be able to support some of those communities is, is critically important. So let's talk about the wind farms and, and how do they not interfere with commercial fishing groups. You know, you're talking about people who catch seafood species, you know, like scallops, clams and sea bass in the areas. How yeah. so do you guys think about that to really protect that industry?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a question we get a lot. Let me just first say that we want to coexist with uh, extant industries in New York, and particularly ones as critical to, you know, not just New York's economy, but New York's identity as commercial fishing and uh, scallops and clams and others that are that are so I think, you know, sought after from well beyond New York. So first thing is that we have a global commitment, a company wide commitment that all of our projects that are commissioned after 2030, which of course this is one of them, uh, will have a net positive impact on biodiversity. Just for Sunrise Wind we Two, nearly 20 million dollars in wildlife monitoring and net positive biodiversity initiatives. And again, this you know, all comes back to this idea that these are community-driven initiatives. We're not going to come in with a Danish perspective and say, you know, here's what we did in Denmark, and let's let's do that, you know, for biodiversity. This is going to be informed by specifically the groups that you're just mentioning, and what kinds of biodiversity initiatives would be most supportive to them. So uh, we have and will continue to work closely with the fishing industry as we plan out and, and build and, of course, operate the wind farms. There's a long history of this industry in Europe that we've been a leader in. And so there's a lot that we've learned in getting these projects built, but not just built in such a way that's mutually beneficial to the fishing community and other industries that rely on biodiversity. So it's an ongoing dialogue and it's something that, that we think will ultimately be beneficial for both of us. There's a study that recently came out of the Block Island Wind Farm, which is uh, the only wind farm in the U.S. Um, up to this point, we operate it, about how commercial fishermen have benefited from those turbines being there, uh, because fish tend to cluster around the so-called artificial reef that springs up around the turbines, and, and they tend to be a bit more plentiful there. But more on that soon. Uh, but we, we hope to have a long and strong partnership with the, uh, with the fishing industry.
0: Well, listen, it's exciting to hear that renewable energy is being produced. It's coming. It's coming in scale, and Orsted is leading the way. So, Eric, I really appreciate you you know, being here on the podcast and taking the time to update our listeners.
1: Absolutely. It's a real pleasure talking to you and uh, hopefully uh, see you out there in uh, in Brooklyn sometime.
0: Likewise. Thanks again. Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com.